There's a church in Dallas, Texas, that went through a church split. And each faction was so angry with the other faction that they took each other to court to sue over the church property. Which faction would get the church property? And the judge, I can just see this judge kind of shaking his head. Judge said, you know what? I don't even want to hear this. I'm going to have a, an arbitrator, and the arbitrator is going to be your church's denomination. Your denomination can figure this out whenever they decide that it's binding. So they went to the church denomination, the executives of the denomination, and said, here's the situation, and, and we need to, to decide who gets, the, who gets the property because we cannot, bear, we cannot stand to see each other. So they formed a church court. They had a court, they had witnesses, they had everything. And part of the, the testimony was, how did this whole thing start? How did this whole thing start? After the trial was over, the winners got the entire piece of property, everything in it, and the losers lost, and they had to go, and they formed another church angry, imagine even to this day, angry with the other church and what was going on. Well, like I said, in that in that church trial, they asked, how did it start? And no lie, you know what the answer was? One of the elders was at a, at a church banquet, and as they were being served their dinner, his piece of ham was smaller than a piece of ham given to a child sitting next to him. That's how it started. That leaked out from the church court to the Dallas News and the media. Can you imagine how silly, can you imagine how silly uh, that church felt having read about it in the newspaper, seeing it perhaps on TV about, oh yeah, that's us. We're the idiot church. When I was very new in my faith, uh, I was involved in an organization called The Navigators. The Navigators, I heard, woo, is somebody part of that? No? You know who that is? It's a Christian organization, interdenominational. It's on campuses, military bases around the United States and the world. And I uh, got involved in this Bible study group. And the founder of The Navigators was a man by the name of Dawson Trotman. Dawson Trotman died before I made a faith commitment to Christ. He actually died rescuing another person while that person was drowning. And uh, just a cool story. I mean, not a cool thing that he died, but it's a cool thing that he rescued someone like that. Um, but I used to listen to these Dawson Trotman tapes. They'd kind of circle around the, you know, he, he probably had about eight or so really good messages that, that he gave. And one of the tapes, I'll never forget this guy. And he was, a, he was just a very uneducated, um, very down-to-earth guy. He was a lumberjack, not a lumber. He's a logger. Worked in a lumber yard. Um, you just, you're plain average Joe, and he kind of talked like it too, kind of like that, kind of like I do, I guess, a little bit. Um, <laughs> but I still remember something that he said in one of those tapes. He said, "Gang, if we don't focus, if we don't major on the majors and minor on the minors, we're going to destroy each other." You don't major on the majors and minor on the minors, you're going to destroy each other. And, and I think that's very true. If you don't major on the major and minor on the minors, you know, it might have been fine for that elder to say, you know, would it be all right if I swap plates with you? And if the little kid says no, that's the end of it. Go home hungry. 
drive through the Mickey D's on the way home. Satan is very crafty. He looks for all kinds of ways to trash the church. We already saw this in the book of Acts. We've been studying the book of Acts in a series we're calling Church on Fire. And the, um, the first attack was one after Peter had preached the gospel. He preached an opportunity for people to respond to something they'd just seen, this healing of a man who was born crippled. And they, the, how did that happen? And Peter tells them about Jesus. And after that, the authorities arrest Peter and John, and they go through a trial. That's the first opposition. And the church overcomes. The second opposition was within the church, but it was over the form of sin or lying was Ananias and Sapphira. They were two people who had decided to lie to the rest of everyone, to be posers, to live as someone who, who they really weren't. And how is the church going to deal with it from day one? And they dealt with it actually very severely. The, the, the Holy Spirit kill Ananias and Sapphira, discipline them unto death. The third wave we looked at last week. Two times the apostles were arrested. One time they were freed by angels. The other time they were brought before this, this court, the Sanhedrin it was called. And they were, it was decided that they were going to let them go to see what would happen because this wise man by the name of Gamaliel says, let them go. If it's, of, if it's not of God, it's going to fail. And if it is of God, you're wasting your time trying to stop it. So they let them go. But before that, they flog them, which is whipping them 39 times, painfully whipping them. And as they leave, the disciples, it says, they left rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. That's the third wave of, of what, how the enemy is trying to trash this young church. How's the enemy going to try to trash it now? Let's take a look at Acts chapter 6. If you want to open your Bibles, you can look at the insert that's in there, or you can follow along on the screen, however you want to do it. There's a new, there's a new way that the enemy is going to try to do it, and it's going to be by minoring, or excuse me, majoring on the minors. That's what the new thing here is going to be. Acts chapter 6. I'm going to cover just the first seven verses today. Kind of a radical concept, just doing seven verses, so... <laughs> First thing is, what happens? Verse 1, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing, that's very important, the number of disciples is increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Now, you need to know something about this society. In Jewish society, and it's set up in the Old Testament, that they looked after their socially depressed people. Anyone who is a lower uh, social economic class, you can see throughout the Old Testament, words about take care of the fatherless, take care of the widows, take care of the needy. Don't let anyone go hungry amongst you. And so Jewish society had things set up where they would take care of people in these needs. Problem was, is as they were starting to become Christians, the Jewish society says, forget it. We're not going to take care of you anymore. You're not... You're of a different class. And so now, this new Christian church has to think through, how are we going to set this up to take care of people? And so they hastily put together a program, and the program obviously wasn't working very well. The program was the daily distribution of food, and it wasn't working because the Gratian Jews, who were the people who were not probably from Jerusalem, they were out-of-towners, out-state people, you know who you are in the room, people who didn't grow up in the cities, you kind of looked down at by those people who grew up in the, in the area. 
And this is multiplied by the fact that they probably didn't speak Hebrew. So here you got these people, so, you know, just think of it as if you were from the Twin Cities and you spoke Twin Cityan, and if you weren't from here and Yashur, you spoke like this there, and as you come here, you, you, you oh, okay, yeah, you're from the Iron Range, okay. Uh-huh, I think we've got a seat for you way back there. And they probably weren't the most prominent in this group. There was some, you know, you, you kind of hang around people who are like you, just a natural thing, and that's fine, but, but closing your doors to other people, that's not okay. And there was kind of some tension going on here, and the Gratian Jews were starting to complain. Actually, that word means more like murmur or grumble, okay? It's sending nasty emails to the leadership, and those kinds of things are happening. These Gratian Jews are not happy. And remember, the church is growing, growing, growing. The first thing it says there, in the, number of the, in the days when the number of disciples was increasing. And we don't know exactly how many there are. Last count we got was 5,000 men. John MacArthur says at this time, he thinks with women and children, it probably would be roughly 20,000 people. I don't know. I wasn't there. But, sounds like a good estimate. 20,000 people. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine trying to give food? To the people who are needy of 20,000 people. That's the size of my hometown. 20,000 people. That is, that is a Twins game filled on a normal, good, good Twins game is 20,000. That is a lot of folk. That is a lot of dome dogs to be handing out. And it wasn't happening very smoothly. And so what's Satan's tactic? It's this grumbling. It's this, hey, I don't like the way things are done here. I don't like the color of the carpet. I don't like, I don't like the songs we pick. I don't like whatever, 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 whatever. It, it's this, mm, mm, I'm going to take a dig. And that is Satan's tactic. That is Satan's tactic in the church. I talk to more pastors who quit because of the cruelty of Christians, of Christians. The cruelty of Christians because they have nothing better to do than think of ways to pick apart Either the pastor or his family or, or something. The leadership of the church, just something isn't right. And it is fun to rip it apart. Let me just give you a little, uh, let me give you a little promise here. I don't know everybody in this room. I'm, I've just met some of you. People I've just met this morning. If I could meet you and talk with you for 10 minutes, 10 minutes to get to know you, I could rip you apart, rip you to shreds in three more just on, based on 10 minutes of knowing you. It is not hard to find something wrong with one another. I am looking at a bunch of sinful people. No offense, right? And you're looking at one, hopefully, maybe a bunch of people in the back of their heads too. But you're looking at least one up here. It is not hard to rip on one another. It is not hard to make a minor issue a major. You can trash people like that. And that's what's going on here. They got a problem. If this thing keeps going through, this church at a young age will be, it'll, it'll, you know, they'll be splitting and going in different factions. And here we have the group that gives enough bread, and here's enough that focuses on, you know, other things and whatever. And you start to get that, and oh yeah, it's like the joke that Bart told me. I think this is a great joke about the guy who was rescued from a, uh, from a, uh, a deserted island, and as he was going past as they were going back towards the, the big ship on the small ship that they came to rescue him from, 
They said, well, they would see three buildings. What are those three buildings? And the first one, he says, well, that's, that's where I live. He says, oh, what's the next building over? He says, well, that's where I go to church. He says, oh, well, you were the only person there. Oh, okay, well, what's the next building? He goes, that's where I used to go to church. <clears throat> For some reason, I don't really understand why, and I praise God. God has spared us in eight years of history here that people have pretty much majored on the majors. Of course, we have our moments, but pretty much we have majored on the majors in this church. And I think that goes a little bit to our DNA. We left Bethlehem Baptist Church, 14 of us. As I was recruiting a class of 75 people to be part of Hope Community Church, I remember telling them, I said, if you want to come to Hope Community because you've got some problems here at Bethlehem, I said, you don't even know what dysfunctional is until you come to Hope Community. This is a good church. Don't leave this church because there's something wrong here. We're going to have a lot more problems at Hope Community than you're ever going to have here. And just instantly to say, you know what? We are a fallen group, redeemed and regenerated, but fallen group of people that you're going to join. If you want to be part of that, that's great. But if not, if this is a place where you're just going to want to take shots, go to Bethlehem. <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> cut that from the tape, will you? Uh, <clears throat> Okay, so that's the problem. This is a big problem. This is a big leadership problem. What do they do? Verse 2, so the 12 gathered all the disciples together. That's a great idea. Get everybody together. And they tell them, they must have had a meeting where the 12 of them met because they had made a decision. They said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them. And we'll give our attention to, the, to prayer and the ministry of the word. Oh, man, that's money. What are they saying here? We have a growing movement. I don't know exactly how many, but there was a lot of people there. And they're saying what we need more than anything for the 12 of us to do is to be involved in the spiritual oversight of this movement. If we get sidetracked into doing all kinds of other things, we are in a world of hurt. It's so wise when they say what we're going to give ourselves to is prayer and ministry of the word. doesn't mean they just had devotionals all the time. It meant that they were with people teaching in their homes, proclaiming all kinds of different things to teach all these brand new people in Christ about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. That's what they gave themselves to constantly, constantly, constantly. And they decided and said, well, you know what? You guys figure it out. You guys figure it out. Choose among yourselves who you'd like to take care of this ministry. We need to have someone who's, they say, they are known to be full of the Spirit. So they're not only just a Christian ideologically, but there's something about them that God is moving in their lives. They're full of wisdom. And we'll see later that they also, um, what is it they say about Stephen? They said he was full of man of faith. So they were looking for these characteristics for these people. And we'll turn this responsibility to them. Now how did they come up with, how did the 12, when they, they told the whole group that they were going to do this, how did they come up with that idea? I don't know. Neither do you. It's not in the text. But I have an idea. This is just a sanctified guess. <laughs> it's not in the text, so I'm just, just showing it's not here. But the greatest example of this was Moses. Uh, and it's not in the movie, so you don't see this, but it's a, it's a scene where Moses 
is struggling because he, day after day, is struggling with trying to administer justice, making decisions among groups for this entire group of people that he has had to take care of. Some estimate, some estimates, scholars say up to two million people were on the Exodus, at least at the beginning. And, and Moses is the only circuit judge. He's the district judge. He's, the, he's every judge. He's the only judge. So any matters of dispute with two million people went to Moses. And you can see there um, in, in Exodus 18, it says, The next day Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people, and they stood round him from morning till evening. Oh, gosh. When his father-in-law saw, this is Moses' father-in-law was visiting, you know, on one of those family things, a Memorial Day or whatever it was, uh, was doing for the people. He said, what? What is this you are doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge while all these people stand around you from morning till evening? Moses, an Moses answered him, because the people come to me to seek God's will. Whenever they have a dispute, it is brought to me, and I decide between the parties to inform them of God's decrees and laws. Moses' father-in-law replied, what you are doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. I actually memorized that passage. Listen now to me and I will give you some advice and may God be with you. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him. Teach them the decrees and the laws and show them the way to live and the duties they are to perform. But select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Have them serve as judges for the people at all times, but have them bring every difficult case to you. The simple cases they can decide themselves. That way, that will make your load lighter because they will share it with you. If you do this and God so commands, you'll be able to stand the strain and all these people will go home satisfied. And so Moses does that. He listens to him. He chooses the people and, uh, and, and, and it works out great for Moses. It's an excellent idea. There's no sense for me to do everything. But you know, that's what happens in leadership. It happens where, say you're the first person at something, maybe you start a new ministry or a new thing, and you do everything. I used to joke when we started Hope that I was pastor, secretary, and janitor of Hope Community Church. Well, it comes to a point where you can't do that anymore, and you need to let it go. And so you have to not be a control freak, just let things go. And Mo Moses, you got to let it go. And that's what they had to do here. So we can't handle everything anymore with between 10 and 20,000 people. We have to let some things go. Now, let's talk just for a moment about the art of delegation. Because it's an art and not a science. There's two principles I want to give you that seem on two different extremes. One, both are from the Apostle Paul on this whole issue of delegation. The first one comes from Ephesians 4, verse 11 to 13. Paul's speaking and he says, It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. Why? Here's why. To prepare God's people for works of service. And that whole reason is so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Whoa! That's radical. You're saying that the leadership of the church is actually supposed to prepare the people of the church to do the stuff. That was important. I should say that again. The leadership of the church 
is supposed to prepare the people of the church to go do the stuff. Radical, huh? You, that means that the leadership is supposed to lead and not necessarily do everything. That's, that's really a radical concept. So spiritual leadership requires giving away the ministry to the members of the church. That's what spiritual leadership requires. If you don't do that, you're not being faithful to this passage. However, the other side of this coin, the other side of the spectrum, is from 2 Thessalonians. Verses 3, 7 to 12. Paul speaking to the Thessalonians, he says, For you yourselves know... How you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked, day, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling, so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we do not have the right to such help, but in order to make ourselves a model for you to follow. For even when we were with you, you, gave to, you gave, we gave you this rule, if a man will not eat, work, he will not eat. We hear that some among you are idle. They are not busy. They are busy bodies. Such men, people, we commend and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the bread they eat. Okay, what's the, the point there? The point there is spiritual leadership requires working very hard. In fact, doing grunt jobs. Doing grunt jobs. Paul was a tent maker. Oh, the apostle Paul a tent maker. The guy who wrote Romans. Oh, what, a, what an amazing mind. And he's building tents. It's perfect. It's perfect. You should work hard. If you're in spiritual leadership, you should never say, I am a... What? what? How did I get the cleaning the toilet duty? You don't understand. I have a degree. I know the Bible. You clean toilets. <laughs> yeah, that's your job. Yeah. The model of spiritual leadership is if you set your model up to say, you know what, I'm going to delegate all the garbage away so I don't have to do that. I'm not going to work hard. You're just going to, that's what's going to be promoted. Paul says be a model. Work hard. Work hard. Now, with all that said, there's a, there's a balance there because the leadership of a church should set it up so that they are delegating things away artfully and skillfully and helping and training and doing all those things to help those people are delegated be successful. But at the same time, they need to be doing that. They need to be working very hard. We have a line here at Hope that anyone who comes on our staff, everybody gets what? Those of you who aren't staff. Everybody gets what? Everybody gets a grunt job. <laughs> and sometimes we even just create one to put in your job description just so it, this principle's there. Yep, your job, Tim, is to... Paint the church this summer. No. Um, <clears throat> everybody gets a grunt job. Everybody gets a grunt job. It's an important thing. How did that work? What happened? Here we have this attack, I think by the enemy, even though the text doesn't explicitly say it was by the enemy, but I think it was. These people are grumbling. Grumbling is one of the worst things in the church, period. And now what happens? They say, come, you choose seven people among yourselves. Have them be full of the Holy Spirit. Have them be full of wisdom. Have them delegate out this ministry. What happens? Verse 5, how did this implement? The proposal pleased the whole group. Ah, that was the big problem is they weren't happy. 
Now they're happy. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. This is an introduction to Stephen. We're going to see him in just a little bit. And Philip, we're going to see him again too. Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parnamus, and Nicholas. We're never going to see them again, but their names at least once in the Bible. Nicholas is from Antioch. He's in a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles. The apostles prayed and laid their hands on them, anointing them for that ministry. There was the implementation. They recognized them, these people, as these are the ones that you have chosen. It's interesting, the apostles let the group decide. That's kind of cool. By the way, that doesn't mean every time you let the group decide. We're going to find later in Acts that the apostles didn't let the group decide. So, but it's interesting here to sometimes let the group decide. They felt led of God to do it that way. What happens? Verse 7. So the word of God spread, overcoming this murmuring and this problem allowed for the word of God to continue to run. The number of, Jerus- the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. And a large number of priests, that's radical, priests. I mean, these are Jewish priests who are hanging out in the temple just doing their duties, you know, punching in their time clock, going to work, and all of a sudden they see these Christians all over the place, and they're kind of hanging with them. And some guy says, have you ever heard the four spiritual laws? And, and uh, <laughs> priest says no, and they talk to him, and they go, wow, Jesus is the Messiah. A large number of priests became obedient to the faith. The church continued to grow even among the priests. I've got a closing couple questions here for you. Are you willing, are you willing to do a grunt job for the kingdom? Are you willing at times when you find something wrong in the church to just suck it up instead of coming to me or to someone else or if you're a part of another church to, to go to that leadership and say, stove is broken. I hate it when the stove's broken. I had a meeting going on. I was supposed to have a dinner, and the stove is broken. Are you willing to say, Pastor, the stove is broken, and I will personally make it my responsibility to fix it or hire someone to fix it? Are you willing to, instead of being a person who wants to, to just poke at the problems in the church? Because listen to me. This, I love Hope Community. I, I hope to believe that if I weren't the pastor here, I would go here. But... There's a lot of problems here. If you want to pull me aside later, I'll be happy to tell you every one of them. Um, But are you willing to be part of the solution? Saying, I want to be part of, I want to be, I'm on the team here. We're on the same team. I want to help. Are you willing to do a grunt job in order to see the kingdom expand? See more and more people. Secondly, on the flip side of that, are you willing, if you're in some form of leadership, are you willing to help train and develop other people Are you willing to delegate things off to them? Not be a control freak. Everything has to be yours. Are you willing to say, you know what, I need some help. And I know there are people here that would probably love to help. Are you willing to do that? Let's pray together. Lord God, I just thank you that that there is an Acts chapter 7. That we made it through these different problems and that the church overcame this issue of grumbling and complaining and did it in a wise way. And I thank you that they chose these people to do this task of administration, of trying to figure out how to feed all these people and and how to wait on tables. They probably were doing it themselves. You pick someone like Stephen, actually who I'm named after, and like Philip. You pick these these men who are going to have such an impact as we're going to find out in a few weeks 
of what they're going to do. And so, God, I just pray that you'd help us to realize, too, that um, you pick people who, who love to do grunt work for you, that you pick Stephen to be the first martyr of the church, and here's a guy who's just waiting tables. So, Lord God, I pray that you would allow us not to be someone who looks down on people who do grunt jobs, or, God, that we would actually even, maybe, maybe where we work, we would just take a moment and, and talk with the janitor, and, and maybe do some of the janitorial while we're talking with them. We wouldn't put it above ourselves. And Lord, there are some of us in this room who need to delegate. We have too much on our plate. Even in this church, we have to look at ways of saying, how can we multiply our work? How can we be more focused on what God has us to do with the ministry of word and prayer? And how can we raise up new leaders to take over? And so God, I pray that you would continually raise up those leaders. Many of them are sitting here right now, maybe don't even know it. Pray that you'd raise them up to do the work of the ministry in this in this fellowship. Just come, Lord. Come and be with us, especially as we go to the table now in Jesus' name. Amen.